welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. This week we are recording this part of the podcast all the way from Norway. We're standing on the edge of uh, a fjord. We've been here for 10, 11 days. I don't know, I've lost count now. Uh, it's been awesome and it's part of a, a new project that we're doing called 62 Degrees North. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah. It's all on Facebook. You can't miss it, really. Uh, we'll be bringing you far more of that towards the end of this year in terms of videos. So yeah. we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. This week, it's all about a very serious topic, which is chronic wasting disease. And it's actually quite an interesting thing that we've ended up in Norway because one of our guests is from Norway and it is the center of the discussion uh, because there have been a number of cases of chronic wasting disease in Norway recently, and it is the catalyst for doing this podcast. Uh, we also have another guest from Germany, and I have a feeling that this is going to be one that's probably going to inform you uh, more than many of the other podcasts we've done because it's not only an incredibly serious topic, uh, it's also fairly complicated. Um, but there's a lot to take in. There is there's a lot, a lot to, take to take in, in but. You can always go back and listen again. That's the beauty of the podcast. And it is something that because it's so serious, people should be sharing it. Yeah, definitely. This is, a, this is another one of those which you really need to spread the word amongst people who aren't hunties, hunters, but especially people who are hunters who travel. Because there is a really high potential if you travel like we are here in Norway right now, that you could end up bringing it back to whatever country you're from. So have a listen, understand the severity of it. And, uh, and enjoy it and try and take something away from it. We have prizes to give away. We haven't forgotten about it. With us being away, it's quite complicated doing prizes. We've almost had no internet. So what we're gonna do, when we get back in two weeks time on our next podcast, all of the people that have entered the competitions, they will, we will we'll announce them. Yeah, there will be do. winners, there will be winners. We do, because we've still got one from two weeks yeah. before, which was the Caldwell shooting rest. Yep. The prize from last time was uh, a solar bank for charging your gear. And there's going to be another prize for this podcast. And if you want to know what the prize for this podcast is, you need to listen to the chronic waste and disease discussion because we're going to tell you at the end. At the end. Um, this podcast, as always, is brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Uh, they've got a lot of interesting uh, discussion right now on Facebook especially with regard to um, salmon and fisheries. So if you're somebody who is interested in that, go and check out their Facebook page and you'll be able to read the discussions and uh, various other documents that they've shared. Enjoy the show. Yes, enjoy the show. Nina, Christina, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Uh, you've both come on to talk about a very serious topic. Uh, but before we get into that, if I could just go to each of you first, and just give our listeners a little bit of a rundown of, sort of who you are, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, building up to your, your understanding and opinions on uh, chronic wasting disease so that uh, people can paint a picture of uh, where you're placed sort of in the, in the world. Nina, obviously, I, I know you uh, fairly well, uh, as, as well as being a Dr. Nina Kruger. You are uh, also a, a, a sporting journalist, so that's a, a great insight for those people who are, all, are also hunters from your point of view. So maybe, Nina, if I could just start with you and then go over to Christina. Yes, I'm uh, working as an editor and journalist for two German hunting magazines. Um, initially, I studied biology and um, have a PhD in molecular biology with um, main topics of neurobiology and protein biochemistry. So um, 
I know a little bit about no, 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 neurological diseases. Um, so that's why I'm very interested um, in chronic wasting disease from a biological point of view and, of course, um, from the hunter's point of view. And Christina, and, oh, sorry, carry on, carry on, Nina. No, I'm, I'm finished. Okay, and uh, Christina, what about yourself? You could just give a, a sort of similar insight into you. Yes. Uh, I am the chief veterinary officer in Norway, and I work in the Norwegian Food Safety Authority. So uh, we are then uh, the authority uh, that is dealing with uh, the three cases, actually, that we have of CVD uh, in Norway. One case in reindeer and two cases in moose. So uh, we are working then actively on this now to... Uh, we are running now, started just started the monitoring program uh, in Norway for then looking into CVD in uh, different cervids uh, in Norway, that is reindeer, red deer, roe deer and moose. I, I want to dig into that a little bit more to understand the importance of the, the monitoring programs and what you have seen so far. But if I could go back to you, Nina, and just try mm -hmm. and explain in the most basic terms as you can what chronic wasting disease is and where it's come from. We all know, I think most people will know of it in, in America. Certainly that's where I first heard of it, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's where I first uh, heard about it as well, um, during my, my uh, studies. And um, since then, I've been very concerned that it might come to Europe since it's so easily um, transmitted between cervids. Um, it's actually a transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, which is similar to the well-known BSE in cattle. Um, it is a very unlike other diseases that are transmitted by viruses or bacteria, transmitted by proteins, um, so-called prions, um, which are naturally occurring in living cells on the surface um, of cells of the nervous system mainly. And um, they exist in two forms, in a functional form and in a misshaped um, um, pathological form. And um, which is very interesting, or it is very interesting that the um, misshaped form is forcing the healthy form of the protein in the same non-functional conformation. And um, since it's very resistant to any kind of degradation, um, it accumulates within the cells of the nervous tissues and th these cells eventually die and leave um, lesions, especially in the brain, um, which is giving the disease or the form of diseases their name um, since leaving this sponge-like um, appearance in, in the tissue of the brain. And these, uh, as you can imagine, if you have uh, holes in your brain, um, this is causing all kinds of um, neurological symptoms that are eventually lethal hmm. and christina what it, it, just as a, a a man on the street or you know, someone who, who's a hunter who's out there and they're looking at animals all the time visually what do you see if, if an animal has chronic wasting disease what would you expect to see no it's uh, i think Maybe the most important thing that uh, these animals, when they really uh, are sick, it, the incubation time is very long here, they say about two years, but when they're really showing clinical symptoms and are sick, they, they will not be afraid of humans in the same way as, uh, as ordinary or uh, 
healthy animals. <laughs> so I think that is important that they that if you you see an animal that is not afraid of you that you uh, that is something to uh, to consider. Mm -hmm. uh, and then of course you have these uh, neurological symptoms. They can move around in circles and so on. And of course they get very thin, and they look unhealthy. And uh, so, of course, this is developing then slowly, and as Nina said, they will die in the end. But they're, they're not afraid of people. I think that is uh, a rule that is uh, important to remember for people that are out there in nature. And we tell them that all kind of animals that act naturally, they should then uh, take contact with the, the authorities in the municipality and then we will uh, take out those animals and we will uh, test them then for CVD. And what can you tell me about the cases which have been documented recently in Norway? Yes, we have three animals and it's two cases in, uh, you could say the first was a reindeer in the west part of Norway and that was found out during, they were... Um, uh, monitoring the animals and uh, so they were in a helicopter and this animal acted naturally it ran out of the flock and then it laid down and when they came to the animals they took down the helicopter and when they came to the animal it, it was dead so it was taken out then uh, to uh, to be tested and we test all these kind of animals we have been testing them for chronic wasting disease for many years so the other, uh, so that is was in the west of Norway. That was the first case, and then we have two cases in moose in another area, the same area, and that was fallen stock. One animal, sick animal, was reported uh, from somebody uh, saw it out in the woods, and the second animal was already dead, uh, lying in a river. So it was also sampled then. But something that's uh, rather interesting is that uh, we, of course, the Veterinary Institute in, in, in Oslo, the Norwegian Veterinary Institute, they have uh, established a good cooperation with the reference laboratory in Canada, the reference laboratory for CVD in the world. So one of their researchers was over there now in the, uh, the summer holidays and uh, had with her uh, samples of these three animals. And it seems like it is not the same type of CVD hmm. on the reindeer and on the moose, which is quite interesting, of course. The reindeer looks more like a classical CVD, but the moose is a bit different. So it might be another type. That, of course, is something that we will look into, but because uh, it, it takes time to uh, kind of uh, look into that question about typing. So you, have, you need to use mice and so on in, in the laboratory to do that. But it seems not to be quite the same type in the western Norway, in the reindeer, and in the moose in the eastern part of the country. And of course, there's no contact also between animals in the West and the East. So that explains that it was a bit difficult for us to understand how it could be transmitted from the West of the country to the Eastern part. But now it seems it's two different types. Hmm. Um, Nina, do we know how it first arrived in Europe? Uh, was it something that's come over from America or is this still pretty much unknown? It's pretty much unknown. Nobody really knows um, how it how it came over. And actually, Christina, um, is any of the two types resembling um, one of the U.S. types of CBD? 
Now, as I understand from uh, the Canadian researchers, they only say that the reindeer type is more or less what they find in North America, but the other one is a bit different. But of course, that is based on physiology of the brain, mm -hmm. then of Western blot. So, and that's difficult to to. It's not exact information in those two way of looking into this uh, prime disease. So you have to do this uh, research with mice to be really sure. So that will take some time. Yeah. Uh, but if um, if the listeners are interested in uh, more information, uh, the uh, Norwegian Scientific Committee for Food Safety, they made a risk assessment, which is out on the web. On their website and then they have uh, gone through the case uh, the, the three cases that we have now and they also made some i would say speculations on how uh, how this could happen i mean how we could find this in in europe and i think they have some theories that of course we have to look into further when we have monitored and see how uh, how many animals we will find but one of them of course is that it could be a possibility that it is uh, coming from the north america in some way which is very difficult for us to understand because we haven't imported any live animals from america or canada ever into norway then of course it's could be spontaneous. Um, this is not uh, ordinary for CVD. You have some uh, atypical type, for example, in cattle. But I mean, some somewhere it has to start. So that is also one possibility. Uh, so I think we will know more about this uh, when we have, as I said, uh, run our screening program. Also, when they have analyzed more these two types that uh, we find in the reindeer and the two moose. No, we'll, um, I'll find that link and I'll stick it up on uh, the description for this podcast for our listeners going to yes, have a look. Yes, there's a lot of information there about wildlife, uh, the wild population of deer in, uh, or moose and so on in Norway. And they made quite a lot of, uh, also looked into old um, uh, information from North America. Yeah, I have to really compliment the, the Norwegian authorities. They really put very quickly a lot of effort into um, informing people, I'm very unlike um, the EU and and um, European other European hunting associations, for example, which took them quite a while to to put something out. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a little bit here from the British Deer Society. I saw that they they released a statement maybe six months ago. It pretty much coincided with the cases in Norway. But I would say that an awareness and certainly a knowledge. Of chronic wasting disease and well what it is which hence the reason why we're having this conversation but how, how it can be spotted and what people have to do i'd say it's, it's pretty poor in the uk and uh, as you've just said uh, nina i know across most of europe that, that's probably true as well and i wanted to ask you in terms of species what species yeah. are we are we looking at here what is the species that it can be uh, transmitted to are there some species that can be carriers but who are not uh, which are not affected um, well, there's not that much known. So far, since it's only been occurring in the US uh, until recently, where um, mainly mule deer and white-tailed deer were affected, and um, to a certain degree, red deer, elk, and um, moose were affected. We don't really know um, which of the European deer species are susceptible and which are not. Um, we know now that reindeer apparently um, can get it, but um, we don't know anything really about roe deer, um, for example, in the wild, for fallow deer, for um, munchak or whatever mm. deer that we have in the sicker deer in, in Europe. 
if they are um, susceptible in the wild or just um, in captive environments. Um, we don't really know. And what are you, what are you doing, or what what are they doing in Germany about making sure that they're aware if if they've got any cases? Is there something in place? Well, there was a monitoring program in place from two thousand and three or six, I think, until um, two thousand and six until two thousand and ten, where um, European wide about thirteen thousand brain samples of deer were tested, and um, but this monitoring program ended in 2010 because uh, the EU decided that the risk um, was very low and didn't justify the effort. Um, now they are doing a new risk assessment and will decide then what to do and how to monitor again. Um, I think in the moment it's very poor and very slow going hmm. um, monitoring wise. And what about uh, your, yourself, Christina? What, how does the monitoring take place? I know you described a little bit of it there where you, you're using helicopters to, to look for animals, but what is the, the current plan in Norway for monitoring the, the animals that you have there? Oh, we have made a program for monitoring that is actually started the 20th of August because then the hunting season for wild reindeer starts and it will continue then out to the end of December. And then we will test, uh, the aim of our program is to test 15,000 animals, uh, most of them wild uh, wild uh, animals. We will also test some farm reindeer, that is an industry in Norway, farm mm -hmm. reindeer. So we will test also farm reindeer in the areas close to where we had positive reindeer and positive moose. And then we will also continue, uh, that might be next year or the end of the year, then continue to Finnmark, the north of Norway, where we have the big population of farmed reindeer. But we will screen then uh, um, for the kind of deer we have in Norway, which is, of course, reindeer, wild reindeer. We have about 25,000 wild reindeers. Uh, and then we, will, uh, we have moose, which is quite a big population maybe 150,000 animals. We hunt about 32,000 animals every year, moose. And then red deer, which is also a big population. We hunt about 36,000 deers, uh, red deers every year. And then we will also test raw deer, which is also is a quite big population. And uh, then we also will go into the farms where we have deer. We have quite a few small farms uh, with red deer mostly some fallow deer in those farms but fallow deer is we have very few in the wild some have escaped from the farms but that's very small population so we will test all the kind of deers or cervids uh, that we have in Norway will be tested in this year so we say about 15,000 animals and then of course we are very it's very important to also focus on fallen stock uh, also sick animals that are observed. Of course, there are more observation during the hunting season because then the hunters are out in the in the field. But also then animals that are uh, that are uh, part of traffic accidents. Those animals will also be tested. So the aim is to test about five thousand fallen stock of moose, red deer, and raw deer in on a yearly basis. Then because that's where you would probably have the uh, best chances to find positive animals. So, uh, but we will run a big program this year to see if we can find uh, the disease in other areas. And 
not uh, least important. The most important maybe is to see in those areas where we have found the disease, do we find more animals? Also, how big is the problem? Is it single animals or do we have some hotspots like they have in the North America where you have <clears throat> areas where it's up to 30% of the animals that test positive? So it's important for us to get the overview and then we have to decide what to do uh, with this when we have this overview. So I, I assume then that you're working quite closely with your, your hunting associations and the hunters to provide the samples, would that be right? Yes, and with the environmental authorities, they have uh, excellent contacts with the hunters. So the hunters are very positive to, uh, to join this program, to send in samples. And then they will get uh, answer on the samples, uh, we hope, two to four days. If we're able to do that, the veterinary institutes are doing all the analyzing. And then positive animals uh, should not be eaten. It should not go to human consumption. So <clears throat> uh, that is also something that we have uh, made quite clear. Uh, so those animals will not should not be eaten and we have to take care of them, uh, the rest of the animal that the hunters have to discard it in a proper manner. Nina, oh, I, I'm not sure who, who's best placed to answer this, but what is the risk to, to humans? Well, um, that, nobody knows, actually. Um, there's no proven case where um, CBD has been transmitted to humans, but it took them quite a while to confirm that for um, BSE as well, so I wouldn't be too sure, and I think it is absolutely right to not consume um, any animals that are tested positive for CBD or um, that you suspect to have CBD. Absolutely. But in the moment, it's not really clear um, how big the risk is. It doesn't look like there's a big risk, but nobody really knows. I wouldn't eat it, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Sorry, I think Christian that the uh, risk assessment that was done is, they say, as Nina uh, says, that um, the risk, if it's a risk, it's very small, but you cannot exclude it. It's, okay. You cannot say 100% for sure it's no risk. So that's why we have this more cautious uh, attitude towards uh, the positive animals that they should not be eaten. Um, and well, just, and it's sorry. known for, for BSE, for example, that there are um, specific human genetic variants that are more susceptible to BSE than others. So to develop Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease later uh, on. So um, nobody knows how or if there are any um, genetic variants in humans that might um, favor transmission or not. Uh, that's interesting. You have the same uh, in both in cattle and sheep and also in deer probably that the, some genetical uh, some animals uh, will uh, easier get the disease than others so that's something that we want to look into to uh, do analysis on the different animals to see if there could be something in the genetics that could explain uh, or there be similarities then on animals that are positive so we would like to look into that so we are working on uh, uh, the Veterinary Institute to have a research program on that, to look into that also. Hmm. And just to explain the gravity of this disease, because it's maybe, we maybe haven't, haven't made it clear yet, just how devastating this could be if it ran away. I mean, how, what can you compare this to and what would, what would Europe and our dear populations and, and the UK even, which is a, a captive population because we're an island, uh, look like if this really started to run and go from species to species and animal to the animal? 
well, that that would be something very, very worrying. In in the US, in wild populations, as Christina already said, it can um, reach up to 30% prevalence. And in captive herds, um, it is known that almost 100% could develop CVD. So um, with a very high deer population densities in some areas in Europe, this is um, very much concerning, actually. And it's very easy transmitted between um, individuals since it's transmitted by saliva, by urine, by feces, um, and can stay infective in the soil for a very long time. Um, areas can get contaminated for years, maybe even decades. We don't know. Um, it could be a major problem. If you imagine you have 30% infected in a population, this is almost every third animal. Mm. Oh, I also agree with Nina, it is quite serious if we have uh, many animals or groups of animals that uh, develop this disease because it is so contagious. If you compare it with the other prion diseases, they are not so contagious as CVD. So that is, of course, uh, for Norway with the big uh, population of different kind of uh, deers and moose and reindeer and so on. And that would be very serious. So that's why we would like to have this good overview to start with to see how we could, uh, on a good scientific basis, then uh, decide what we can do about it. And I think it's very, very important that um, we raise awareness and that hunters realize that they have to very closely cooperate with authorities, with researchers that are working on this problem um, and report any case that that might be suspicious to them. Hmm. And what, so given that uh, there's monitoring going on, certainly uh, in Norway, and that if cases come to light, obviously it'll be, uh, well, people should report that to the authorities. What is the contingency plan? I suppose Norway is a good place because you seem to be further ahead than anybody else in terms of having a grasp on the disease. So what is the contingency plan to stop it spreading once you've located where it is? Yes, that is, we already made some, uh, 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 what do you call it, arrangements, or we made a regulation to uh, to uh, have some, uh, what do you call action on yeah. what you should not do. Uh, so we have uh, regulated about you're not allowed to feed uh, deer, moose, and so on, uh, because that is that happens in Norway, like in many other countries, and you're not allowed then to uh, use uh, uh, deer urine in the hunting. There is something they use it for uh, uh, in the during hunting, so that is forbidden. And also then these uh, lick uh, stones with salt that you place out for the animals. That's forbidden. And people are not allowed to uh, to uh, um, to uh, move animals from one district to another. Of course, the wild animals they will go where they want. Uh, but especially when we talk about uh, farmed reindeer, then you're not allowed to move it from. You have to ask for permission to move animals, and it's not allowed to move from the south of the country to the north of the country. And then, of course, we also have this that you should report. It's uh, should report sick animals then to the authorities. So this is regulation that we made. It will uh, it will be a regulation that's there until we have done the monitoring, and then we see if we have to change something. And of course, we we also we don't export 
uh, meat from uh, wild cervids and also from the farm reindeer at the moment because of this disease. So, but of course, uh, I think it's um, we have to look into that. If we have hot spots, what can we do? That is uh, uh, something that we have not discussed in detail yet. What we have to see on results. But I mean, we we uh, in Norway we we have been fighting a lot of animal diseases that other countries don't fight at all and we have done it successfully so we will uh, have an open mind to see is it possible and what can we do to uh, to erase the problem if it if we have hot spots like that so that is something that we have to consider when we know uh, how many animals uh, that have this disease uh, Nina, what what would you like to see in place in Germany or the other U European countries in terms of a, a contingency plan? Because it, it does feel very much to me from the conversations I've had with other people and sort of reinforced by this conversation that we're having now that it doesn't feel like people are ready if if it does come about that suddenly it's there in their own countries. No, people are not ready. Um, the hunters are not ready. They're not well-informed yet, um, authorities are not ready. There is no emergency or action plan in Germany or the EU in the moment. Um, of course, every um, measure where deer concentrate, like on feeding salt lakes, um, watering places, are very, very difficult. And um, of course, if we see a spread to other countries, we must really think about banning any of these, mm. of course. But awareness in the moment um, for traveling hunters, for example, is really important so that there's no risk that they bring it with, with whatever to their countries. This I think is I most can, important in the moment. Excuse me. I think I can mention also that EFSA, uh, they will also make a risk assessment. The commission asked for assistance from EFSA in Padma, yeah. and mm -hmm. there will be two uh, Norwegian, one from Veterinary Institute, and one is a specialist on uh, wild deer population, moose, and so on. And two participants in the panel from Norway that is working on the uh, on the cases we have here now. They will be a part of that panel. So I suppose that that will also uh, uh, also you will what. EU will decide how they want to um, to uh, deal with this challenge, and I think uh, that one of them, of course, is they would like to also do some more monitoring, uh, and of course, fallen stock is very important to check, especially. We, of course, have also good cooperation with Sweden and Finland, which are our neighbor countries, especially Sweden. I think the moose population in Norway and Sweden, that's more or less the same population. They will go to uh, over the border back and forth uh, quite often during a season so we are in uh, in contact with them and i think also sweden is planning to run monitoring on on their uh, moose and and farmed reindeer which is on the borderline is on the border so they will also do some work on that i'm quite sure and they also have sent out a message to they want risk animals on fallen stock to be sent in for uh, testing that would be actually something that um, hopefully will be implemented in, in Germany or other European countries as well. And I think it's important that we might establish some institution like the reference lab in Canada and send or learn the same expertise that they have there 
um, so that we don't have to final confirmation always send samples over because I think it took quite a while and um, until the the cases in Norway were um, confirmed to be really the same or yes that's not right the same the, case, yeah. we first we used Weybridge which is the reference laboratory for BC the cattle yeah. yes and uh, they couldn't say exactly but they said they thought that was what it is but it, it mm -hmm. takes takes some week to have a confirmation yeah. yes yeah that's so right. that it would be good to have a European reference lab yeah, no, for confirmation. it sounds to me like it's something that you definitely want to get on top of as soon as you're aware that it's there. So breaking down yeah. that, that time frame that it takes to confirm it could be the difference between getting on top of it and not. Yes, absolutely. Um, as a traveling hunter, uh, in fact, I'm a, I'm a good example because I'm uh, myself and my brother, uh, who can't be here today, is uh, we're, we're traveling to Norway just in a matter of weeks, actually, when driving through Europe to go, go and hunt in Norway. What does a traveling hunter need to keep in mind? What can they do to make sure that they're not going to be the cause of spreading this, even if they don't even know that it's in their country? But I suppose that's the point. Yes. Uh, we have on our website, there's also an English uh, version. So th there it will be uh, translated, uh, the information that we give to the Norwegian hunters. So that can be... Uh, but we have not made any special precautions yet, I think, with, of course, ordinary precautions like uh, clean clothes and shoes and so on. Uh, but uh, our main um, focus at the moment is to sample, to get in samples from the hunters and also to get information about uh, sick animals. That is the first. Uh, so, of course, we have to look into this uh, after uh, we know the results from the monetary program uh, to see if we have to go further in uh, those recommendations to the hunters. But if I would uh, 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 say that you should... Um, and look on our website and uh, then you will see uh, there is information also in English for hunters. So what, what they recommend in, in the US, for example, for traveling hunters is to um, don't not bringing back any clothes that been contaminated with blood, um, tissue, stuff like that, uh, clean shoes in the country itself. Don't bring back uh, mud, soil, or anything. Um, don't bring back non-prepared trophies. So trophies that are still brain or um, other muscle tissue or whatever is still attached to. Um, mm. These are other precautions that are taken in or yes. that they recommend in the U.S. But I can. That's something that I will uh, uh, also. Be, something that we also could put on our website so i will uh, inform the people working on communication here with the mm -hmm. yeah oh that's brilliant we've Sounds more like good <laughs> advice more than yeah. just informing our <laughs> listeners we've now uh, we've now put forward part of a, a solution into europe that's excellent <laughs> No, I think that, uh, wow, there's, there's so much information there and I hope that the people listening understand just the importance and the potential devastation that a disease like this could cause. Uh, we're going to get on uh, someone from the UK, from the British Deer Society, to talk about it from, from our end here and what we are actually doing in the UK. I'm, I'm a little bit, I know that there are, uh, there is a committee in place and that they are in the process of making plans, but I'm unsure exactly how far 
they have got there just now, but I'm sure that they'll be liaising with our European counterparts and especially Norway, um, who are, are much farther ahead than everybody else. No, probably not. Well, we really have to understand what a major threat this is not only to wild deer populations, but for the whole hunting and deer farming industry. Um, how devastating it really can get. Because if we have same implementations like in some um, states in the US where they're really severely thinning out deer populations and try to reduce it unbelievably, um, then this is really worrying. So, so is that what they're currently doing in America in, in order to tackle it? They're thinning the populations down so that there's less chance of transmission between, between animals? Yes, exactly. And especially in hotspot regions, um, they, they try to get rid of, um, of the population in total to, um, to yeah, stop the disease from spreading into other states and counties. So it could take generations of animals to bring it back to the same uh, density and populations as before the disease. So it truly could be absolutely devastation for the species and uh, the spin-off of that, uh, the people who uh, enjoy hunting it. And then I suppose another spin-off of that is all the other benefits that you get from, especially in America, the incomes from people going to places to hunt. I and mean, there's a whole catalog of, thi of things which could have a bit of a, a domino effect. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in the US, a lot of people rely on venison they um the main their main meat consumption is coming from venison mm. um that and we have a, a huge venison market in europe as well um and you can imagine what would happen if people think they can get mad deer disease from venison mm. that would be um dramatic even though the the risk is is assessed to be low um you know how newspapers and people react yeah, yeah. I think you have to remember, and I'm sure that you in the UK remember uh, the BSC. mad cow disease. Yeah. Uh, uh, so all the discussions and uh, around that topic, and that was quite devastating, I think, for uh, um, uh, people's uh, trust in the authorities, the way it was handled. Mm -hmm. That is, of course, something that I at least remember very well, and we mm -hmm. have that in mind when we... Uh, are dealing with the CVD here in Norway. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember, I was quite young at the time, but uh, I still remember the driving down the motorway and going through all the disinfecting basins and uh, mm. seeing piles of cows with, on fire uh, mm -hmm. in pits. And yeah, it, that wasn't that long ago. And that might actually focus the mind of, of people listening to this. It, we're talking on the same scale as that, but it just happens to be more wild populations that we're talking about here than domestic. Certainly Which is a people. lot more difficult to control. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Because the, the BSE problem um, was relatively easy to control in the end um, by eliminating the feeding with, with bone meal and um, by testing every slaughtered animal. It is very, very difficult to get a wild, infected wild population under control. Because I you, can, agree. you can't just eliminate the, the infectious agent. They are infecting each other with saliva or urine or whatever. That is very, very difficult to eliminate. I quite agree. But also the BEC, the mad cow disease, was a very expensive exercise for the authorities, yes. all the oh, checking yes, and so on. 
to to develop uh, the trust that was lost during this so but of course yeah. that was uh, that was possible to control this is much more difficult if you really have a uh, infection going on in the area or a hot spot then it's much much more difficult to control than in a cattle population mm. i was just uh, thinking while you were talking about venison there and uh, the potential impact on venison sales and i know for a fact that uh, in the uk where there has been uh, there have been no cases reported uh, but we export a lot of venison during the rut because we, we don't particularly like eating um, venison from that period of time because it's all primarily coming from from stags in the middle of the rut uh, and then most of that goes to europe actually uh, and i'm just yeah. wondering i'm just thinking to myself now whether you know this is so serious that should that be stopped this year until we know even from countries that have no no cases reported oh, but that is absolutely i mean all the beef from uk was stopped during mm. the mad cow so that was also so it's possible it's possible mm. that that could be a problem of course uh, the eu today uh, import of venison then from uh, north america canada then they uh, all animals have to be tested all single animals have to be tested before they are allowed to export them to to the EU hmm. today. That is, uh, and then you, you have to keep in mind for testing, um, they need samples of nervous tissue. I think they still need samples of the brain to, to confirm. Christina, am I right? Yes, I think today it's... Uh, I've I seen that there are some uh, reports about uh, uh, testing live animals. I see that. Okay. Yes, but that is, I think, uh, just uh, early days for that. But they are testing out methods to do it also on live animals. Mm. But today it's uh, it's after the animals is slaughtered that you have to do the testing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't Which know. Which could, could be a concern for um, for people that, especially when they go hunting during the rut, it's mainly trophy hunting. Yeah. And um, which is a, a huge um, additional income, I think. And um, if if you get trouble in with trophy hunting because you have to provide the heads or brain samples, and um, I'm quite sure that you won't be allowed to take the samples yourself. You have to probably send in the head or something like that. Mm. Um, then this could get really difficult as well. All things that we have to keep in mind. Yeah, as an, as an implication, I hadn't actually even even thought of. But yeah, a good point. I, I don't know if it's still the case, but I know that, uh, and I'm going to try and find out um, soon, but I know that we used to uh, import peri periodic, well, not periodically, yearly uh, reindeer from Norway for our festive period, you know, during uh, during Christmas time, because there's reindeer all up and down the country for uh, Santa Claus. I would imagine that they're going to stop that this year, but I'll have to check on that, because that, that seems to me like a very obvious and uh, obvious way to transmit it or bring it here and a danger which I think we could do without. Yeah, because, absolutely. Uh, what you import, uh, when you import reindeer from Norway, mm -hmm. that is farm reindeers from the north of Norway. But the export of reindeer meat from Norway is, is very limited. I looked at the export statistics the last years and it's very limited. So, But that is, as I said, farm reindeer. And 75% from the farm reindeers in Norway, they are in the north of the country. But they will also be a part of the monitoring program. Ah, uh, okay. So, so yeah. no, that that uh, that that brings me some comfort. But I will uh, I I will uh, I will ask the question. I know that uh, the British Deer Society here. I think that was something that they they brought up, and I think they were going to try mm. and, despite the fact that they might be monitored, I think they were going to try and stop that this year, just to 
try and minimize because the I think the wild reindeer uh, there's not any export of meat from wild reindeer that's eaten in Norway that's not that many animals hunted so it's the farmed reindeers that are exported if they're in but the export as I said is very small well, I, I think that uh, everyone listening should have a, a fairly good grasp of this and at the very least be intrigued to go and look into it more. Uh, and I really do urge everybody, uh, your hunters and non-hunters alike, just to learn about the disease and uh, further the, the implications of it and the potential, uh, the potential for it to cause just mass devastation across a country, which uh, something I think even a lot of governments haven't quite grasped just yet. Um, so I will stick up all the links uh, to the, the websites that you've mentioned and encourage people to go and read through those. And certainly as things come out in, in, in the coming months and as the, the process of, of monitoring goes on and if any more cases come out, we'll be sure to pass on that information so people can keep the most up to date. But thank you very much for both of your time. I'm, I'm really pleased that we managed to get you uh, both on today, I I know for a fact that uh, there will be a lot of information in there that people didn't know. So this is a, a really, really good starting point for, for people to be aware of the disease. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very yes. much, Nina. Thank, Thank you very much, much yeah. Nina. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye now. Well, thank you very much for listening to this week's show. Join us again in two weeks' time where we're going to bring you some guests from Norway. That's yes, the, we are. That's the plan. We haven't so, recorded it yet, but we will we be bringing you some guests, some guests from, Norway. from Norway. This week's prize is... A Surefire LED torch. We will put up... I do have it in my rucksack, so we're going to take some pictures of it all the way... I don't know why I brought it all the way <laughs> to Norway, but I do. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go and put some pictures up on Facebook uh, so you can see what it looks like and all the spec. Uh, we gave away a Surefire torch a few months ago now and I know that the, the person that won it was absolutely delighted with it so yes we've got another one to give and away how you win this you've got to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher so that's Apple or Android uh, leave a review and we're gonna pick one from the most recent reviews yep. as in from this date until the competition closes leave a review and then that's how you win so if you want to win a really awesome surefire torch just leave us a review. Leave it's it. as simple as that. Yeah, nice and easy. Well, thank you very much for listening to the show. We'll see you again in two weeks' time when we won't be in Norway. We'll be done by then. We'll actually be home we'll after be, a month. We'll be home after a month. Uh, but please check out our Facebook page. Also, any more information, www.thepacebrothers.com. You can download this iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, you name it. You can do it. Spread the word. Uh, TuneIn Radio. TuneIn Radio. It's, it's there. Spread the word. Uh, also check out our Instagram account. There's a lot of cool pictures Ooh, yeah. we're putting up there. Yeah, so if you like Instagram, we're putting up stuff all the time, as well as the Facebook pages. So check out Pace Brothers Into the Wilderness, the podcast page, the and Instagram. There's loads of them. But Pace underscore brothers, yeah, right? But, yeah, but it's all on the pacebrothers.com. You can't go wrong. And just lastly, uh, we mentioned it maybe two weeks ago. We have just started running uh, wilderness hunts. And if you want to know a little bit more about wilderness hunts, we're doing two of them this year. Uh, well, this season, one this year and one the start of 2017, go to thepacebrothers.com and you will find a tab for Wilderness Hunts. You'll be able to read all about it. And we finally have all the details for that. So everybody who's already inquired uh, and wants to come and experience hunting the way that we do it, we will be emailing you back as soon as we get a second with all of the details for the hunt 
and we'll also get it up on the website. So go check it out. If you're interested, ping us an email and we're going to send out the information to everybody who has uh, expressed uh, an interest. Yep. This podcast is supported by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. We hope you enjoyed it and we will speak to you again in yeah, two weeks' time. Thank you.